So don't be afraid to call the baby ugly. Is that what you're telling me, Tracy? That's right. That's exactly right. That's oh. kind of our job as competitive intelligence practitioners. That's one of our jobs. Give people <laughs> the tools to build workarounds. If you can't do that, then maybe you shouldn't be doing this. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and today I was joined by Tracy Berry, the Director of Competitive Intelligence and Communications at Freshworks. In this episode, Tracy and I revisited her 30, 60, 90 day plan for launching a compete program, a framework that she's actually used on numerous stops now. This episode is for anyone out there who's looking for direction on how to build a competitive strategy, what to prioritize, because really, if you don't compete, will quickly end up like a game of whack-a-mole and how you get the organization bought into competitive enablement, because as we know, Building this org-wide culture of compete is really the key to success, but it doesn't just happen overnight. Tracy is the best. Her 30, 60, 90 day plan is actually one of the first things I remember learning about when I joined Clue two years ago. And I'm so, 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 so happy that she is our guest for our 50th episode. I can't believe we've made it this far. So thank you to everyone that is listening to this episode, that's listened to any episodes of the CE show and being a part of this along the way. So much work goes on behind the scenes to make this happen. So shout out to producer Ben, the rest of the team that has made sure we've been able to not miss a recording a single week this year. Also, as always, would love your feedback. Let me know what we can do better, what and who you want to hear more of, all of that jazz. Uh, it's a lot different this show than it was on episode one when it was a one-man band. I hope we've made improvements based on what the audience wants, but always, always looking to improve. And also, if you're feeling extra kind, if you could leave us a rating and review, that would mean the world. All right, sappy stuff out the way. With that all said, let's get into today's episode. All right, today I am joined by Tracy Berry the Director of Competitive Intelligence and Communications at Freshworks. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, Adam. It's a pleasure. Well, I don't know how we haven't had you yet. We've been chatting <laughs> for Lord knows how long. I remember my first week at Clue as I watched your awesome presentation with us. That was two years ago now. We've been in communication, but I think the stars have aligned because you are our guest for episode 50 of the show. Five zero. That's exciting. I feel, I feel privileged to be one of, you know, this is like a benchmark production. I so know. this is awesome. And we have a benchmark episode too, because you shared the 30, 60, 90 day plan for success with your competitive function two years ago on a presentation with Clue. Now, since then you've worked at two have you launched you've launched or worked on two different compete programs at two different companies yes yes and so you've put the 30 60 90 day plan <clears throat> into action two more times after your time at service max two so we wanted to revisit it i think one because it's super valuable for our audience for anyone that's looking to just build out an understanding of what their compete program should do shouldn't do setting expectations we're going to cover a whole bunch but I also want to get your take, Tracy, as someone that's followed her plan now two times after the presentation earlier with Clue. So to kick things off, high level, what's the value in establishing this 30, 60, 90 day plan with your competitive strategy? 
So I think there's a couple of things about giving you value to this plan. You know, one of them is that having a 30, 60, 90 day plan planned out, first off is very impressive, <laughs> but two, it really outlines the game plan that everyone can agree on, your, your boss, their boss, your stakeholders. And also it really holds you accountable during those 30, 60 and 90 days. It's like a checklist basically of you know what you're doing, what you've done, where you're going, but it holds you accountable both to yourself and to your stakeholders to make sure that you're executing on your plan. And many times too, when we've talked to listeners, a lot of people have built and compete from scratch. Like it wasn't a formalized function. It's like some people in mm -hmm. product marketing are doing some research, obviously sales are doing their research. So it's not a formal thing. And what I love about the plan that you've laid out is this is how compete works. It's a dedicated function and this is how it's going to operate. Right. And, you know, just so you know, this is not exclusive to a compete program. Right? Actually, there are a lot of people in my current company, Freshworks, who are coming in and building out programs for the first time. And we have a thought leader in our company who keeps using me as like, a, he called me his poster child um, <laughs> to have other people do 30, 60, 90 day plans. And also the 30 and 30 interviews, which are part of that plan, because it just helps you not only have a game plan, but then identify the priorities for building out your program. Absolutely. So before we get into the nitty gritty, I know you even teased there the 30 and 30, which we're definitely going to get into here. Since you've implemented the strategy or your 30, 60, 90 a few times, has anything drastically changed in terms of what your plan looked like when you first kicked off at ServiceMax to today at Freshworks? Not really. Not much has changed. I have to say, um, I've honed the questions in the 30 and 30 interviews uh, a little bit. I've tweaked them, but they've, they've worked beautifully. And my last position at Automation Anywhere, I was using a 30, 60, 90 day plan for an established CI function. So it was really my role after going through my 30, 60, 90 day plan in those 30 and 30 interviews. It was more about facilitating change and reestablishing priorities. So how, how different was that? There's something existing, but I'm sure you found some leaks in the, on the ship. Yeah, absolutely. And that required a bit of diplomacy, but I had been, you know, brought in as a practitioner of CI. And I, so I had a game plan and I, I used my interviews to help me understand, you know, to kind of get my fingers on the pulse of competitive in the company. And that helped me really set the priorities I needed to. Well, that's a perfect segue because we want to get into the first 30 days, which you talk about is understanding how your business competes today. When you're a compete professional, you could be jumping into tons of a lot of different industries that maybe you don't actually have as much subject matter expertise or you're not as familiar with, like for yourself, you've jumped between industries and whatnot. What are some of the ways that you research or get a grip on just like the broad competitive landscape in the industry as a whole to kick things off? Yeah, well, if I'm applying or looking to make a transition to a new job at a new company, I do some legwork to begin with so that I can speak knowledgeably uh, in, my, in the interview process. But beyond that, I think when you hit the ground running with a company, it's one of the first places you can go are analyst reports, you know, your magic quadrants, your Forrester waves, things like that, because it not those reports give you industry trends and also the lowdown on your primary competitors against specific products. I would also say looking at industry publications, any internal documents, 
another good way to find out about your, your market or your industry is to do a competitor profile because you just inherently in doing research on a specific company, you're going to end up getting exposed to industry information and industry trends as well. So you're doing your homework early on, getting your bearings, but this is, we're crawling right now. We're, we're not running yet. In terms mm -hmm. of what else you're doing in those first 30 days, obviously getting a sense of the landscape is important, but the most important part I think is understand how your business is competing today. Getting under the hood uh, essentially of what competitors are actually coming up. What is your strategy as a team right now? So what are some of the ways in your career that you get that look under the hood of how a business is competing day to day, especially when you're coming in right away as, as, as a newbie? Yeah, no, I think without a doubt, you need to get your fingers on the pulse of sales. So early on, understand what's going on within your sales organization, but also look at your CRM data if you have one. <laughs> and um, also you just work, you work to start building relationships within the go-to-market team, whether that's your AEs or your solutions engineers or your um, business development reps, whoever that is. And beyond that, get involved with their meetings, you know, regional meetings, QBRs, things like that. What do you do in those? How, how do you get involved for someone that's never got involved? I know you, your experience, you have no, you're like, yeah, I'll, I'll go reach out to the director of sales or or whatever, I'll get into those meetings, but someone that's new as well. Yeah, you basically assume you're allowed until somebody says you can't. I, I will say without exception, people are very welcoming. They want to have a competitive person engaged with them. And so I've never had somebody say, well, why do you want to sit in on my QBR? Why do you want to be in my regional meeting? It's it's more like, please, please come, you know? And it doesn't mean you have to sit through the whole hour. They'll Like in many instances, I'm given the first 15 minutes. So I do my spiel, I do a Q&A, I give people an update, and then I go and they continue their meeting. So, so what, that, that was 15 minutes. Is it just like, a, and we'll get to a layer, sort of like putting a face to compete, like just getting, is it, it's sort of like, it's the internal PR tour. You're like, hello, right. I'm Tracy, yeah. I'm going to be your competitive support moving forward. Exactly. And it's early, it's, it's really important to do that early on. I mean, I think, and I mentioned this in the webinar, part of your early duties in your role is to evangelize competitive intelligence. You can do it at the proverbial water cooler. You know, you can mm. do it by engaging with sales in these meetings. You can, you know, do it in any number of ways. But, you know, people who are competitive intelligence practitioners as analysts, we can oftentimes be introverted, but we mm -hmm. have to find that extroverted part of us that that acknowledges that we have to go out and evangelize and make ourselves heard. What do you see with CI analysts that might be a little bit more introverted? Like what's the issue with not going out and evangelizing? What, what's that going to do for your program? If you just, well, if you're not evangelizing, if people don't know you're there, then you're working in a vacuum and you end up producing things that you think people need or you think people want. And that does nobody any good, right? I mean, you need to know your audience. You need to know what your stakeholders' pain points are. You need to understand what your directive is, basically. So getting early buy-in, evangelizing. One of the things mm -hmm. you mentioned as well that you did at ServiceMax is, there, there, I think there's this element of, as well, when you, when you show, like you, you, you come to these sales meetings, you're, you're putting a mm -hmm. face to compete, is also there's this help me help you kind of, that's the ethos you want to be putting out there. So one of the things you've done is like quick wins for these folks. Mm -hmm. What, mm -hmm. what have some of those looked like? I've done it a few different ways. I would say at ServiceMax, I got into deal reviews right away. 
then I was asked about a major competitor for which they had no competitive information. So I did a profile on that competitor and then I presented that profile. I think also quick wins, not you can't do it in a week, but you can do it in a quarter or maybe a little over a quarter is looking at your CRM and revamping your CRM. I mean, you can bring in a competitive analytic tool like Clue and go live early, you know, like ramp it up and go. And then also putting processes into place. I mean, the last three companies I've worked for have been startups or mm. in the case of Freshworks, a, a newly IPO'd right. startup. <laughs> um, and so a lot of those companies, you need to build process and organize the chaos. And that in and of itself can oftentimes be a huge win. And you can do that fairly quickly. So in terms of getting those quick wins, building evangelists, mm -hmm. one, you're doing the work. Like that's, I think, what you're kind of saying on these first 30 days. Visibility, mm -hmm. help me help you, provide some value. One thing I am curious about, though, especially when you're organizing chaos, if you don't build these processes, like the expectations compete can just kind of proliferate, can just expand over and over. Is there, on those first 30 days, are you setting expectations? Are you drawing the line of like what compete is, what compete isn't, or is that for a later date? I think it's a little from column A and a little from column B. I think part of your 30, 60, 90 day plan can <laughs> do that. But also when you report out after those 30, 60, 90 days, that's the time when I think you set the expectation because you have an idea of what your game plan is going to be, what your priorities are. And so you also know that you've prioritized things. That means there are some things that maybe didn't make the cut, but are still important to somebody out there somewhere. So you have to set those expectations of what's going to be done and what's not going to be done. And that's a good time, you know, to think about the art of the possibility, right? Like I could be doing mm -hmm. more if I had this, right? If I had this tool or this third party help or additional headcount or something like that. So it's like you do one or two things really well. You, it's almost like a teaser because otherwise you're mm -hmm. probably not going to be as effective anyways. And you can build right. out, it's like, it's like building up like bottom up demand as well. I'm sure if you build out this competitive profile, like tell me, tell me about the competitive profile you wrote at ServiceMax. Like what was the response to that when there's nothing there and then you come to the party fresh with mm -hmm. a competitive profile. Mm -hmm. It was a huge win. And and one of the reasons it was a huge win was that up to that point, competitive in the company had been done part-time by product marketing. It was a case of showcasing everywhere that we were good, but the field knows, you know, the people out in the trenches, they know we're not perfect at everything and that the, our competitors mm -hmm. have better features, better functionality, whatever. And so I think my profile was like the first time that I showed the warts <laughs> and that was what they wanted. They, the, the sales and the, and the solutions engineering teams or go to market team, they wanted to see the warts. They wanted to know where they had to dig deeper or a build a workaround in their demo or whatever it was. So it was very eye opening for people. So don't be afraid to call the baby ugly. Is that what you're telling me? Tracy? That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's kind of our job, you know, as as competitive intelligence practitioners. That's one of our jobs is you have to be able to call the baby ugly when the baby's ugly. What's that like? How do you go about that in a cuz I'm sure you want to be direct, 
but there's got to be probably some level of finesse to it. Like in, in your experience, how do you deliver something like that in terms of, well, we're not as good as competitor X in this, in this way. Like how, how do you deliver that way? It's not just like pointing out flaws, but it might be just some productivity. I'm, I'm just curious. It's not just saying the baby's ugly, but you have to be able to say, but this is how we can make it look prettier, so to speak, you know, like give people <laughs> the tools to build workarounds or to defend you know, one of the big things is you can't just set landmines. You have to give people the ammunition to defend those landmines as well, right? So when when a competitor talks about the fact that our product is ugly, let's have a counter to that. So it's things like that. You enable people to make it less ugly. And also part of CI is driving the product roadmap, right? At least in my in my view, that's what it should be. And so when you're uncovering all of your weaknesses, you are inherently giving product the information they need to be able to build out your product to reach parity and or to innovate and differentiate. On, on that note, because the product team are gonna be the experts in the product, like I think it's unreasonable to expect the compete team to know as much about your own product as the product team themselves. But what kind of things have you delivered to the product team to help them on that roadmap front? Like what are some of the things that have, have been really useful for them to help drive what their roadmap is? Yeah. Well, first I think it's really important to build those relationships and get buy-in from products. So it's not enough just to sit in on sales, re- you know, sales meetings or things like that. Mm-hmm. You need to have a cadence for meeting with product as well in order to have a relationship with them and to build trust. And I've had, you know, various levels of success with that. But I would say that the best practice is to have those regular meetings to engage to get buy-in, and then also to include them on cross-functional projects. You know, like if you do a teardown of a competitor or something, don't just use Mm -hmm. solution and solutions engineers or AEs or whatever, make sure products engaged as well. So I think that really goes a long way. It's all about relationships, really. It's like keeping them in the know. And what I like Mm -hmm. actually about that is when you mentioned if you did a competitor teardown is having different folks in that room if you think about a battle card is like there's different levels of detail you go into a battle card that would be like so if you did a competitive profile on this emerging event that no one knew about you've got the high level depositioning that is going to be super valuable for sales but then as you go along in your battle card or in your teardown that's more technical feature function that's where mm-hmm. it's more important to your solutions engineers and your product team and that's when you build out role specific battle cards it's a good start. And if you're a team of one and you're torn in a million directions, it's probably okay to just have one battle card. But if you've got the resources and you've got the demand, then you build a battle card for different roles within your company. So the AEs, they need different information mm-hmm. than, say, someone in product or someone on the BDR team. It's that kind of finesse to your battle cards that you should be aiming for. Let me let me do one more tangent before we keep this thing back on the tracks. What are the secret ingredients or what are you putting in to a battle card for a product team? Like what are the things that would be different to something you see on an AE battle card? What's really landed with product teams in your experience? It's very much going to be the details. I mean, the nitty gritty of, of feature function comparisons and probably highlighting also where the competitor is innovating or a market leader or something of that nature that would pique the interest of the product team. 
why'd you deliver that as a battle card and not always as like a presentation setup? Are your product teams actually going and finding these battle cards? I think it goes back to self-service and the fact that you create mm. clues, your single source of truth for competitive. And so the information is there. It doesn't have to be a battle card. You can drive them just to the board. It seems to me the simplest way to do it is to create a battle card that allows, again, we design our battle cards so people can drill down as they need to for the information. And so that's how we would set it up. Tracy can't be in all places. She's busy, but Tracy can't be at all places all at once. That's right. And that's self- <laughs> if you set yourself up with that strong self-service, now I hate to use the buzzword. It's not a buzzword, but I, I want to refrain from using it, but you can scale. You can scale what you're doing. Speaking of getting headcount, building the pillars for your compete program to be uh, a recognized function, let's get to 60 days. You've taken a look under the hood of how you're competing mm-hmm. today. But now we're going to look at like the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities really for your compete program. And as you teased at the start of this, one of the core functions of this are your 30 in 30 interviews. So can you Mm -hmm. share just high level what that is? So the 30 in 30 interviews comprises interviewing 30 people for 30 minutes each. That's the 30 in 30. Neither one is hard and fast. I found the first time I did it, I interviewed about 50 people and it turned out to be about an hour each. But this last go around that I've done here at Freshworks, it was 52 people and I kept it to 30 minutes. So you can tweak with it a little. You definitely have people's attention for 30 minutes. After that, it might wane a little bit. You you ask them a series of questions. I would strongly suggest that whatever you do, you keep the questions the same from one person to the next to the next, because what you're going to be doing is deriving trends in those conversations. Do you want to know what the questions are that I asked them? hundred percent. I want to know who are you talking to first and the questions you're asking them and the reason you're asking some of those questions. We don't have to get to every single one, but the must have questions. Someone kicking off and they're like, okay, I can try and get 30 people in the door for 30 minutes, but how do I, how what do are the things start? I should yeah. ask them when I'm in those calls? If you're new to the company, start with your boss, say, hey, who do you think I should talk to? You know, think about common stakeholders in competitive intelligence, like sales leaders, product leaders, you know, those are the people you're going to want to talk to. But really, once you get started, the conversations you have with people, they will bring up other people that, oh, you should talk to so-and-so. And that's how your list grows. And that's how I had that scope creep from 30 people creeped up to 52 because there were all these people that came up. Oh, you should talk to this person. Oh, this person knows about that. So that's how it works. It's like it just grows, you know. So, yeah, I've I've always kept them pretty much the same from company to company. I did drop one off. So let me tell you what I asked today. I asked people to tell me about their use of competitive intelligence in their current role. Then I ask them, what's working today with competitive intelligence? Then I ask them what's broken, what's missing, and what's on their wish list. And then finally, one that I added to the repertoire last time was, how do you prefer to receive or consume your competitive intelligence? When, when you ask these questions, what's the most illuminating trend or response you've seen when you analyze these kind of responses or results, you're going to get 30 responses to these, these six or so questions. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I've done it twice for a new function and once for an existing function. But regardless of that, there are some trends across those companies. It's everybody's dying for centralized competitive intelligence. Everybody wants true product differentiation, not those rose-colored glasses we talked about earlier. And they also want differentiation beyond that feature function comparison. Like what's their go-to-market motion? You know, what's their sales strategy? That sort of thing. And then also another common complaint is dirty win-loss data in the CRM. Oh, Tracy, are we opening that can of worms right now? Dirty <laughs> win-loss data. I think everyone listening right now just had like shivers go up their spine when you just said the words dirty win-loss or CRM data. Well, I would love to come back and talk to you another time about that because I think that warrants its own discussion. This does warrant the, its own discussion, full session. Yes, but yes. me, let can we let's do a little teaser here for folks. Mm -hmm. What are some of your sure. quick fire tips to clean up data? Because I kid you not, Tracy, and I'm sure you've spoken to millions of compete practitioners too, but like unanimously, this is a challenge obstacle thing that is integral to being successful with compete and launching a program but so dang hard to tackle so give me some quick fire tips on how you're cleaning up crm data in your time well i would tell people there is hope i've done it successfully twice it's on my to-do list now the one big necessary thing to do well there's two things you have to make it required fields so that sales or whoever's inputting the data has to complete it before they can close out the stage. And then you have to mm -hmm. enable around it heavily, constantly, consistently, so that the people inputting the data don't just have this task they have to complete. They understand why they're being asked to, to do this, what's important about it, and what's in it for them. You can show people that, again, when it's dirty, you show them why it's dirty and why it doesn't tell them the story it needs to. And then you show them the art of the possibility. With clean, consistent data, we will have insights into your win rates, why you're losing, things of that nature. Those things, yeah. We'll get more into the weeds of how to, because yep. I think that's easier, easier said than done as well. That enablement piece there, I think that there's a million and one things that you're probably doing consistently as well too because it's a change of user behavior which is so dang hard one of the things that i've seen really successful too is um tying sort of that competitive field to a relevant battle card so when you fill out x competitor is present in a deal the relevant competitive information shows up as well for them so it's sort of like that mm -hmm. before you close this out it's really important to capture not only who you won or lost to but who you're in an opportunity with in the here and now so that you're not only giving backward insights into what happened in the past, but you can also share competitive information about our current deals and what's at risk, who's at risk, you know, who are we risking it to, that sort of thing. So this is talk about teasers. I think that was valuable <laughs> as is, but let's we're gonna do a deep dive on this later. So folks, if you have any questions around that for Tracy, myself send them our way. We will be covering this for sure in the short, in the near future. In terms of the 30 and 30, you cover, as you mentioned, these are stakeholders you want to talk to. These are the questions you're asking. These are the trends you see. What do you do with all of this information then? Like, obviously there's a, the, it's clear the value of it is like, you're kind of getting a consensus across the company of what's needed, but how do you start to put those things into action? 
The 30 and 30 interviews always, without a doubt, give you a clear idea of the pain points that your stakeholders have. And from that, you can derive the priorities of how to address those pain points. If it's centralized competitive intelligence is a pain point, you centralize competitive intelligence. How do you do that? You use a tool, right? And again, if you have no budget, you don't have to buy a tool, but it's my recommendation is to get a tool, but there are other ways. <laughs> if you need to provide true product differentiation, that's a no-brainer, really, right? I mean, you just have to show the warts, and the warts are there. It's just in how you go about gathering and analyzing the information. If it's people want to be notified regularly of updates, you create a newsletter. Any of those things, you know, those priorities, and, and don't like pick 10 or 20 priorities. I pick five, top five priorities. And then that allows me to execute on them. Win-loss has always been a priority and I think across the board. So I start to build out a win-loss program. You can start small with no budget. There are lots of things you can do with no budget on win-loss. Um, another favorite topic of mine, you need to start somewhere with a program. Again, it just ties into like it helps you prioritize and the prioritization is in accordance to what's going to help the business most. Really? It's that you haven't picked out these priorities out of thin air. Like this is, I've listened to you. That's I've, exactly right. I've aggregated, I've found the common trends. Like, yeah. And I don't record my 30 and 30 interviews, but I keep pretty detailed transcripts of the conversation so that I can go back and actually pull out themes. And then I, I actually build a spreadsheet. And I put those themes in and I aggregate them and I count them to see what truly is like the number one priority. But it, it makes sense. Honestly, when when someone can come in and compartmentalize things like that, it makes it a lot easier to, for someone like myself, scatterbrain mm -hmm. over here to process and understand, comprehend. So mm -hmm. I appreciate the work you're doing, Tracy. Also, I know we kind of got ahead. I, I kind of set you up to go ahead of yourself here in terms of like setting these priorities. There's also a part in this evaluation phase where you're kind of mapping out not only how how the business is competing, kind of what, what their pains are, but you also map out sort of the current state of the competitive strategy that's going on. Maybe there's an existing function that has some leaks in it, you said, or it's kind of siloed from scratch. So where have you commonly seen sort of maybe leaks in the flow? of how competitive Intel is swirling in an org? And mm -hmm. what are some of the most like critical moments where CI needs to start to be involved within competitive strategy? I don't think there's leaks per se. You either have barriers to flow, like silos. You have a one-way communication where you need a two-way flow. So it's all well and good to push competitive to your stakeholders. But a lot of your stakeholders also have access to competitor information in the, in the roles they're in, whether it's a CSM or a professional services member or an AE or SE. Those people come into contact with competitor information all the time. And what you need to do is build a process or a routine, a culture, where that information is flowing both ways. That does not happen with the flip of a switch. That takes a lot of evangelizing, a lot of being in people's faces, a lot of incentivizing, gamify it, whatever you have to do, but it's possible. Where do you see those like critical moments where Compete needs to be involved in, in terms of like business strategy or where, where they should be really involved? Well, if you go back to the webinar I gave, I think I listed three there, you know, as potential big deals develop, 
when considering moving into a newer emerging market and during any major strategic planning decisions. I think you could have a panel discussion just on this topic alone. Again, I mean, I'm not married to my list. I'd be willing to change that critical list. But when I look at my charter and my stakeholders, that to me is a pretty solid list of where you should be involved. You mentioned win-loss, which again, mm-hmm. another topic. I think we have like a full series of conversations. And, but you mentioned specifically at ServiceMax, and I believe at your kind of future stops as well, that picking win-loss improvement as your primary ROI measurement was, is that that's the thing that you really set out to, for, for clarity's sake. Why is that the metric that you're using as your primary measurement of success, I suppose? Well, I think we chose win-loss at the time because it was something that could be quantitatively derived out of the CRM. So it wasn't like a touchy-feely thing. <laughs> I mean, when if you're measuring something, you need something that is quantitative in nature, right? So the challenge with win-loss rates for any company, any CI function, is that Other organizations within your company can also claim influence over those win-loss rates. You know, marketing could say, well, it was our marketing campaign or sales could say it was our new sales strategy. So it's really a tough nut to crack to find anything that measurable that shows the ROI on CI. Another panel discussion, because I'd love to hear success stories. I hear people's hypotheticals a lot, but I would like to hear true success stories <laughs> how people do it. What What are some other ROI measurements you've kind of adopted? Because I think what you're saying there as well is like, there's so many factors. I talked to Brandon, yeah. our own C manager mm-hmm. about this. It's like, mm-hmm. there's so many factors that go into winning and losing a deal. Now, here's one that I think that I'll be able to do is cost savings. Like when you're breaking down the silos of a company and mm. you see that there's a lot of redundancy between all those different silos, mm you can identify ways to streamline. And from that, you can remove some of those redundant CI efforts. And that's like FTE hours, that's budget money. I mean, it's any number of things. That that would be a fairly easy thing to quantify. Yeah, how, how would you quantify that from a cost-saving perspective? I think this is really timely too, with kind of the, the climate today with budget constraints. I think every every company right now is probably looking for as many efficiencies as possible. How would you go about this or if you have gone about this previously around how you can present cost savings through building this compete function? Yeah, I haven't sat down with with a pencil to figure out the numbers yet, but already at, say at Freshworks, we have taken all the different within our PMM organization. We've pulled together all the people doing competitive intelligence, mostly part time but we're all a team now. We call ourselves the clue crew because they're they're all part of the clue curation process. And because of that, we are streamlining processes. Um, part of my role as the director of competitive intel and communication is to make sure that as we communicate competitive intelligence out to our stakeholders that we're doing it consistently and that it looks and feels the same and that it is continuously providing relevant information to people that contextual, you know, useful. So we're already starting to see efficiencies, but there's so much more we can do as far as breaking down those silos and cutting out some of the redundancy. So do you ever attach like a number to like sort of the laser back a napkin ROI to streamlining these efforts? I think it's, it's, 
there's there's probably someone listening to this right now like ah i don't really have that much budget or i don't even like i just want this to get prioritized so how can i just show my team that this is this is another way this is another proof point i can prove this is valuable yeah. and worthwhile right now yeah no i as far as my own situation is concerned it's it's stay tuned it's definitely coming but it's not we're not there yet like i said this is this is the toughest nut to crack in ci i think is the roi piece what i hear from you is and again my conversation with brands is don't maybe you have these pillars in place like you don't want to waffle around you want these numbers Mm -hmm. but it's also painting a broader picture too that you need to color it in rather than point at this number and say this is what it is. Like, I think there's, as you mentioned with many of these things, there's like a combination of factors that you need to deliver for proving your ROI impact. You mentioned as well at ServiceMax, as you're kind of identifying the stakeholders, what, where the gaps were. One of the things is that there was two different needs for two different types of stakeholders. You had your tactical, so how do you win today? Your sales, PMMs, your solutions engineers. And then there's that kind of strategic audience that need more long-term competitive intel, like your execs, products, sales leaders, things like that. Could you share one way that you've supported either stakeholder with intel that a listener today could just get started on? Sure. I mean, it's pretty straightforward, really. I mean, from a tactical perspective, I think the best thing to do is join sales in the trenches. You know, they're out there, you know, basically in battle with our competitors all the time. So you need to support their deal reviews. You need to provide timely and reliable messaging for them and get their feedback on it as well. Um, Build those competitor profiles, listen to them, look at the CRM data to see, do we have a new competitor that's creeping up on us you know it it could be we were in five deals with them last quarter but we're in 15 deals with them this quarter that could be a you know you need to focus and build out that battle card whereas before it wasn't a priority so things like that i think from a strategic standpoint i think you use your your data and your crm to generate visuals I mean, face it, executives and mm-hmm. the board, they love them some pie charts, right? I mean, and that's, again, <laughs> they, they like quantitative data. It's something they can digest and visualize. So I think that's something that is, a, again, a quick win for you. And what those pie charts you're showing sort of competitive mm-hmm. like landscape, your win-loss rate with specific mm-hmm. competitors. Are there anything mm-hmm. else you would kind of attach to that? Or is it more like this is the the first of many insights I'll be delivering. Yeah, kind of like stay tuned for more, you know, like get them hooked mm-hmm. on your pie crack and then uh, and then they'll be wanting more information. So You've got them salivating. That's you right. Met, uh, we talked earlier about how you build competitive intel battle cards for product teams, this non-sales audience, which is mm-hmm. really interesting because you usually think battle card sales, which is a huge portion of it. Mm-hmm. Start with mm-hmm. sales, serve that team, they're hungry. But as you mentioned, you can support product team solutions engineers. How are you using Clue to serve Intel to your exec team, for for example? Yeah, we, we've gotten some executive interest and access to Clue already. They're accessing our existing battle cards. But in our build-out plan is to have executive-specific battle cards that, in some cases, the data may be for their eyes only. It'll be mm-hmm. data CI that won't be shareable outside of the executive window. There there are times when if you're involved or engaged with the C-suite on strategy or planning and they want information to support specific initiatives like that, then that's kind of like 
a level of classification up that it's it's need to know, right? To use a, an old jargon from my old world, it's need to know, and some people don't need to know that. So, it's a, yeah, you don't want to be flooding them with too much information. Then you're just like kind of have that sensory overload. You're not prioritizing yourself. Part of the sixty day evaluation too is you identify the tools available to help you actually have a program in place. So that can mm-hmm. be obviously we're on a Clue podcast. That could be Compete Tech. In your experience, when you've built out this function, is there like Mm -hmm. a tipping point of the maturity level your program can get to until you need to add tech or headcount? Like, what what does that look like for you? Well, first off, I would say, and I think a lot of team of one or new CI people have a similar issue, and it's not necessarily at the level of maturity of your program because you can mature your program, but if you don't have budget, and the money behind you to grow your program, then Mm -hmm. you're not going to get another headcount. You might not get another tool. So you have to work with what you have. But if you go beyond that and you just look at maturity levels, I'd say that you would need to add headcount as you build out different aspects of your program. Like, for example, to me, win-loss is a huge major tenant of a CI program, and it has many pillars to it. And that's a full-time function right there for me, in, in my mind, for a CI analyst, just doing win-loss. At Freshworks, we're very product-centric, so we have different teams looking at the competitive landscape vis-a-vis different products. If you had the luxury of having one for each, that would be great. But you also need to come up and look at the big picture, right? You can't just be looking at things in those siloed product lenses. You need to be able to look at the bigger picture because oftentimes, at least in the software space, your competitors cross over from one landscape to the other, so to speak, right? They, they're not just isolated in one product area. They could be in multiple product areas. So you need someone looking at the bigger picture. Let's. Uh, this is kind of bleeding over into the 90-day mm-hmm. portion of things where you get to optimizing. So obviously sort of identifying what's available to you. The second part of that is sort of creating a budget. So in, in your experience, what are the most important priorities to allocate budget for and why? Yeah. So those priorities, again, come out of the 30 and 30 interviews. You know, you read out the findings of your 30 and 30 interviews to your management chain, to your stakeholders, et cetera. That identifies what's truly important versus what's nice to have, right? And you don't have to despair if you don't have a budget because there's a lot you can do. You don't have to spend a lot of money, another podcast topic. But having said that, if you do have a budget, your priorities from your interviews will help you determine what your spend is going to be. And then the next part as well, you've mentioned from the get-go, you're always building a brand of Compete Mm -hmm. internally, but you mentioned it as 90 days. This is where you really start to pick up some steam on that front. We've talked so much about building a Compete culture, building a Compete brand on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about a time during one one of your stops here where you felt that Compete brand really start to gain momentum? Yeah. Well, first off, at ServiceMax, I actually literally branded competitive intelligence. We had our own logos. We had our own templates. We had our own look and feel so that when people got something from us, they knew it was competitive. And then people started to be able to relate my asks of them. You know, if I asked them for something, they could relate it to in terms of the outcome. Like, for example, whenever we had a win, a big win, we would put out a victory lap. And 
I would debrief the entire sales team, the AE, the SE, the professional services guy, the AE's boss, the whole team. We would get standardized questions, get the readout on the win. That win was emailed to every single person in the company. That gave the team some cachet. It obviously evangelized the win. The whole company was excited, et cetera, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. that was one way that, you know, we could celebrate our successes and people recognized the output as some as competitive. And I think another aha moment for me in ServiceMax was when we saw Clue adoption and usage increasing. And with that came additional curation support from some of my evangelists who then went out and recruited other evangelists to provide even more content. It's sort of the snowball effect. And that makes your life so much easier. Yes. Well, maybe not easier, <laughs> but it allows your program to build at a faster rate and you'll probably get a lot more people involved, which yeah. is always a good thing. In terms of as well, you mentioned one of the things throughout this 30, 60, 90, you're doing all of this work, but you're also outlining plan processes, getting rid of chaos. What does your timeline look in terms of the deliverables that you're going to be sharing with folks over these 90 days and looking ahead to? Because obviously it's not 90 days done. This 90-day plan is also to set you up for future success. So what does that timeline look like in some of the deliverables you'll be serving over the first 90? Yeah, you know, Adam, it's really funny because I have a lot of people that reach out to me on LinkedIn after they watch the webinar that I did for Clue. 90% of the time they want this timeline, which I didn't share in that webinar. Unfortunately, I had not, I had that timeline for ServiceMax, but I didn't sanitize it and bring it out with me when I left. So this time at Freshworks, I created a similar timeline and update to anyone who wants it. I've sanitized it so I can actually share with you what it is. But basically, it's a timeline that outlines the cadence of certain deliverables or regular meetings with key stakeholders, how often you send out the Intel Digest, you know, what week of the previous quarter do you present your win-loss data, that sort of thing. So it's a spreadsheet I built in Excel. It shows all my one-to-one meetings with my CI leads. It shows my Intel Digest. It shows my news feed updates. It, it shows everything that I conceive of that I touch that involves other people or engagement of some nature. That is so comprehensive. I, I think we're going to also, what's that? I think we've got six follow-up topics, conversations, pieces <laughs> of content we need to get into now, Tracy, um, in terms of what those deliverables look like. Because again, I think that's to your first point about help me help you deliver quick wins. I think a lot of compete folks are chomping at the bit to provide that value. And what is mm-hmm. that value I provide? And if you try to bite off too much, then you might just burn out. So I love the idea of setting expectations and also what a regular cadence, because I think regularity, consistency, at least from a, uh, someone like myself in the content space is delivering consistently is it's not the uh, snazzy flashy things that you always see, but it's the really, it's the foundation that you need, the bedrock you need in order to be to really build a strong brand. It's not just all the big flashy wins, it's like consistently showing up. That's right, that's exactly right. I appreciate your time here. We went deep, we went long. 30, 60, 90 day plan, Tracy. Is there anything else you'd like to add or share in regards to this for listeners, how they can kind of follow this plan, things that they should avoid, things that they should really prioritize or focus on? 
I would just say that this 30, 60, 90 day plan, like I said before, isn't just for CI, but it's also not just for a newly established function. If you're in a rut, if you're like when I went to automation anywhere, I was new to an existing function. Whenever you're in a situation where you need to understand your stakeholders and prioritize their needs, I think that at least the 30 and 30 interviews will give you that, but the 30, 60, 90 day plan helps you along the way, helps you kind of build that framework and then helps you at the end of it all report out your findings. And don't be afraid to call babies ugly. Don't be afraid to call babies ugly. That's right. That's our job as a competitive (laughs) intelligence practitioner, whether you want it to be or not. If you can't do that, then maybe you shouldn't be doing this. (laughs) I think that's the perfect way to end this one. On that note, Tracy, this is an absolute pleasure, folks. If you haven't listened to our previous webinar, it's incredible. You can find it on YouTube. We'll put it in the show notes here. Tracy, where can people find you, reach out to you, learn from you? You can find me on LinkedIn and you can find me my Freshworks email address, tracy.berry at freshworks.com. Thank you so much for making episode 50 a special one, Tracy. Thank you. Catch everyone next week. Bye.